You're listening to a message delivered at First Family Church from the series Intentional Discipleship for Normal People. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. So if you have your Bibles, open up the, the book of 2 Timothy. We're in a series on discipleship. For the last six or so weeks, we've been dissecting discipleship. And we've been primarily looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if you wouldn't mind, turn there with me this morning. Today, uh, we are going to be finishing the exegesis of these two verses. We're going to be looking at the last phrase of this today. And then next week, we're going to do some summary, some overview, a little cast some vision for you next week. So I'm excited to spend some time with you. Let me read it for you once more. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Today we're going to look at one more phrase found in this text. It's the last phrase there where it says, who will be able to teach others also. That's our text for today. We've titled today's sermon, The Goal of Discipleship. And as we mention goal, I want you to think of long-term goals. I think we all know the command to disciple. I think we know Matthew chapter 28, we call the Great Commission, where Christ, when he leaves his disciples, he tells them what their job description is. I think we're familiar with that. We know that. Our command is to pour our lives into others, to share our faith with others, to pass on the faith that we have with others so that they will have faith as well. Discipleship is difficult and messy. Would you agree with that? And sometimes I think we need long-term vision. We need to see the results or the goal. What, What am I working on this for? Why? What will this produce What change will happen if I do this? Sometimes we need that motivation in order to keep going, to not give up. So today we're going to fly back up to 30,000 miles, look at discipleship uh, from a large perspective, and hopefully today we will see long-term goals or long-term results, if you will, of what happens when we disciple people. When we pour our lives into others, what are the effects of that? And I think this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, disciple, pour your life into others. Teach these guys that you pour your life into to teach others. Because ultimately, there's a big goal. There's a big result. Things will move. Things will change. The world will be changed if you do this. So we're going to look at this phrase of why does Paul tell Timothy... Timothy, teach others, and teach others to teach others. What is this multiplication principle? What does Paul know will happen if Timothy does what Paul did with Timothy? If Paul disciples Timothy to disciple others, what will the results be? Discipleship rarely goes according to plan. That's speaking from a youth pastor Somebody who for the last 14 years has tried to disciple students in this realm called youth ministry. It rarely goes according to plan. Rarely when you 
teach or speak truth into people, do they fully obey, right? Like, it doesn't usually go like, hey, do this. They say, okay, there's fruit and results. Rarely does it happen like that. Sometimes that leads to discouragement or frustration, and you guys know this as much as I do. But the beauty of discipleship is that its impact, when we do it, its impact is greater than sometimes what we immediately see. If our faithfulness to discipleship was solely based on visible results, all of us would probably have bailed a long time ago because it's tough work. Many times I feel like I'm, maybe I'm wasting my time. Like what's the, what's the, the fruit of this? Or maybe it's, I'm just, I'm just bad at this. I'm not, I'm not good at making disciples. Or I just don't know enough. Their answers are brilliant. High school kids, middle school kids ask really smart questions. I'm not good at this. Do you ever feel that way? Just discouraged by discipleship? The thing that should keep us discipling people is understanding the possibilities of the long-term results. And that's what we want to point out to you today. The possibilities of the long-term results. What happens when we disciple? I want to use a simple illustration of you taking stone and throwing it into a pond. I know you're familiar with this, but when you throw a stone into a pond, you should see two things, right? You know this. This isn't brand new to you, but you see the vertical splash, and you see the horizontal ripples that spread throughout the pond. This is a great analogy for what happens when true discipleship takes place. When you disciple someone, when you're involved in their lives, Sometimes there are immediate vertical effects. Sometimes there are. You're, you're discipling somebody and, and you see them get saved. Man, they put their faith in Christ. They pray the prayer of forgiveness and repentance. Sometimes you do see that. Sometimes people act upon commands you tell them. Hey, have you ever been baptized? Oh, you haven't? The tank will be ready this week. You want to get baptized? You do? Awesome. You do sometimes see that. Sometimes you see new learned truths where they're like, oh, I didn't know the Bible taught that. Oh, yeah, it does. It's brilliant. And you see them come to new knowledge. Sometimes you see obedience, right? Like, yeah, I should do that. I've been lacking in that in my spiritual life. I need to do that. You're right. Sometimes you see people fight sin. You're right. I, I do feel convicted over that. I need to stop that. So there are. Sometimes you do see immediate vertical effects. Sometimes you don't. But the beauty of discipleship it is that there are also ripple effects that happen that maybe many times we don't see that I want you to be aware of today. You might not be, see immediate results. You might not see effects happening today. But these ripples, these long-term ripple effects should encourage you. And I want to remind you of some of them today. The results of discipleship have a spreading effect And that's what we'll look at. So today our title is The Goal of Discipleship, or maybe to articulate a little bit better, maybe The Results of Discipleship or The Reach of Discipleship. When you disciple, here are some goals, here are some results, or here are the reach of discipleship. You ready to jump in? Number one, if you're taking notes, discipleship can change the trajectory of a life. Discipleship can change the trajectory of a life. Every human being is born a narcissist. Have you ever known that, noticed that? 
We're all born self-centered to some degree, right? We all are about us. My main goal is my happiness, my safety, my success, my well-being. That's the way you were born. It's the way I was born. We're all inward focused. What we see from Jesus when Jesus is discipling people is that Jesus has the ability to take self-centered people, all of humanity, and transform them into kingdom-centered people. Jesus has the ability to take fishermen, not that there's anything wrong with being a fisherman, but he has the ability to take fishermen and make them fishers of men. You see, discipleship has the potential to change the very center of the lives of people. He has the ability to change what people are about, what they focus on. And he has the ability to change people's center from themselves to God and God's kingdom. The story of the entire New Testament is that people meet Jesus and their lives are forever changed. Or there are some in the story that meet Jesus, they reject Jesus, and they stay on the same trajectory they were headed. You could easily think of examples of both cases in the New Testament. No one meets Jesus, loves Jesus, and never changes. Everyone who meets Jesus that falls in love with Jesus, and then their lives become radically different. This is the very nature of discipleship. It's our job to introduce people to Jesus, teach them all about Jesus, and and how to love them, and then in result, the result of discipleship is Jesus radically changes their lives. Discipleship has the ability to change the trajectory of a life. And that has been happening since Christ was born. I think it is easy to get frustrated in discipling because sometimes you see very little change, right? Like, Travis, I believe that point number one is true. I just don't see it. There's people I'm discipling, I'm loving, and I don't see change happening. I'm I'm frustrated. The really cool thing about little changes is that if you can get someone to make small changes, then you are changing the trajectory of their life for the future, right? It's like moving the rudder on a boat just a few degrees. If you can move the rudder on a boat just a few degrees, a few degrees will eventually make a big difference. So if a teenager can learn to love their Bible as a teenager, they will be an adult who daily reads their Bible and learns from God's word, right? So take a teenager and just slightly move their rudder towards being a person who knows the word of God, who loves the word of God, who reads the word of God. That long-term effect result is enormous. enormous. That's what we call discipleship. You see, discipleship is so much bigger than just a Bible study. It's pointing people towards a different path than they are headed. And the results of this can be endless. Changing that rudder, moving that boat just a little bit have lifelong results. I see a sign of a great leader, and I think this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, a great leader is one who is able to produce future leaders. 
Not someone with a ton of followers. That's not necessarily great leadership. See, insecure leaders, insecure pastors, insecure CEOs, they want to create followers, right? But Christ-like leaders want to create skilled future leaders. They want to be senders, people who empower, people who don't care about immediate success, but ultimate success. The Apostle Paul could have planted a church like Ephesus. He could have probably had a pretty good-sized church in Ephesus and been a big success there. But the beauty of what Paul did was he found guys like Timothy and Titus, and he built them up and he poured into them. And then he unleashed them to do what he did and empowered them to replace him. Paul was a brilliant leader because he empowered, he discipled, he poured into, and let them go. You see, great leaders don't care about their success. They care about long-term success, and ultimately, they care about the kingdom's success. That's what discipleship is. I don't want followers. I want disciplers. I want to raise up a generation of young men and women who will do what I was taught to do, who will pour into others. That's discipleship. In Jesus' time, young men would be willing to leave their lives if they got an opportunity to go and follow a rabbi. This was just normal New Testament life. If a young man got an opportunity to work with a rabbi, he would leave everything, mother and father, his family, his hometown, and he would go and follow a rabbi. And they would do this. Why would a young man do this? For one reason, to become a rabbi. Not to just follow this guy for the rest of his life, but to become a rabbi. That young man would eventually become a rabbi, and then he would have other young men who would leave their lives to follow him. This was the cycle that was going on. This was the model we see in the New Testament. It was always a continual cycle. Rabbis create rabbis, who then would create rabbis. This is the model we see demonstrated in the New Testament when Jesus appears. And this is the model that Christ demonstrates with his disciples. Leave everything. Come and follow me. I will make you like me. Leave everything. Let me pour into you so that you can become like me. And this is what Christ is doing with his disciples and what he expects his disciples to do. Point people towards a better life purpose. That's discipleship. So Jesus takes his 12. He trains them for three and a half years and then ultimately sends them out to do what he did to them. Jesus always called people in order to radically change their lives. Paul then does the same thing that Jesus did. He goes to Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi. He plants churches, raises up leaders, and empowers them to be the leaders of that church. He would tell these men, make your life about something that will make a difference. That's what you do when you disciple. You say, let me change the trajectory of your life. Right now it's self-centered. It's about you. There's a better life out there. There's something way more important to life than what you're currently about. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything. Set your eyes towards him. Just move your rudder a little bit. Focus on him. His life that he offers is greater than the path you're currently headed down, and it'll make a world of difference.
In Matthew chapter 4, you're probably familiar with this text. This is where Jesus calls the disciples and he tells them that he will make them fishers of men. Jesus told his disciples this when he called them to follow him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come, let me change the trajectory of your life. There's nothing wrong with fishing. It's a ton of fun. It's a blast. It's a good job. You'll make money. You'll be able to provide for your families. There's nothing wrong with what you're currently doing. I just want you to know there's something greater. There's another calling on your life. Let me change the trajectory of your life slightly and help you see that there's something better you could be doing than catching silly fish. You could be catching men and telling them about the love of Jesus. Let me train you to do what I did. But if you want to follow me, it's going to be a life-altering decision. Isn't that what discipleship is? Discipleship is, there's a cost attached to it. Yeah, I want to help you see the beauty of Jesus, but you can't just add Jesus to your life. If you say you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to alter everything because you're no longer 100% self-centered. I'm still self-centered, but ultimately I'm now somewhat focused on the cross and his mission and his goal. To be a disciple of Jesus is a life-altering decision. Right now, before we move on to point number two, think about the people in your life right now that you have a discipleship relationship. On the seats when you came in is a little card. And on the back of the card are two questions. Who am I discipling and who is discipling me? Just You've hopefully been wrestling with this for almost two months now. Think about those names that you wrote on that card about who you're discipling. Are you seeing any small changes in their life? Are you seeing their rudder just move slightly slightly changing my encouragement would to you is don't get discouraged because those small changes that you're seeing will end up being life-altering as you point people back to the word of god as you tell them to fight sin as you tell them to cherish the cross you might get the head nods and yep 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 i'll see you next week but those small decisions those small changes are life altering you just might have to wait 30 years this is the effect discipleship has has the ability to change the trajectory of a life point number two i think something that paul understood that he was trying to teach timothy about discipleship number two is that discipleship can change the trajectory of an entire family not only does it have the ability to change a person it has the The possibility, the potential to change the trajectory of an entire family. Another potential ripple of discipleship is that true discipleship affects future generations, not just the present. Making disciples expects long-term multiplication or a generational goal. Isn't that beautiful? By you pouring into somebody... You are impacting their family, their children, their grandchildren. By you changing that rudder, pouring into them, pointing them toward Jesus, is having generational examples. 
I want you to do a little exercise for me real quick. Not like get up and do jumping jacks, but just a mental exercise for a second. I don't know if you're able to do this, but try, okay? Think about your genealogy. You guys know your genealogy to some degree? Think about your spiritual genealogy just for a second. And if you can write this down somewhere, I think this would be really cool. Many of you in the room probably can't name the first generation Christian in your family. But can you try? Maybe on your mom's side, your dad's side. Can you think about your genealogy just for a second? Think about who that first generation Christian was. I don't know if you can do this or not. Think about the one person that changed your family's trajectory. Can you come up with it? Maybe write it down, talk to your spouse real quick, and see if you can figure out who the Christian was, the person that put their faith in Christ, who then discipled their children and discipled their children, and now you have a family of Christians. Can you do that? You don't have to raise your hand, but... Are there any people in the room who you are the first generation Christian? Just curious. My wife is. My wife is. I'm the complete opposite of that. I am a 10th generation Christian, and I married a first generation Christian. As I've been preparing for this, this has just been overwhelming to me to think about the difference of effect that is being made because my wife came to Christ. First generation Christian, now her kids have faith in Christ. Hopefully our kids will, you know, have children. And, anyways, we'll get, I'm, I'm getting beyond myself. Okay. And some of you in this room, you're first generation Christians, and that is absolutely incredible. I want to tell you, I, my sister's in town, and she does that Ancestry.com thing. And so we were talking about this, and I was like, help me out. I want to use this as an illustration on Sunday. Can you help me think about our first-generation Christians? I want to tell you a story, okay? You might not care, but sorry. All right, so my, this is as far as we know on my mom's side. My great-grandparents on my mom's side, their names were Clarence and Edith Warnica. One day, they decided to attend an evangelistic rally where Billy Sunday would be preaching in Waterloo, Iowa. At that rally, I don't know why they decided to go, but at that rally, they heard the gospel, they embraced with faith the truth of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for them. They went home and began attending Walnut Street Baptist Church in Waterloo, Iowa. It was there where they began to be discipled. My great-grandparents discipled their children, my grandma. My grandma discipled her children, my mom. My parents discipled their children, me. And today, my two siblings and I are followers of Christ who are discipling their eight grandchildren. And we're discipling countless other children through local church ministry. All because Clarence and Edith Warnica decided to go hear Billy Sunday speak one day. And then that local church faithfully discipled them. Isn't that amazing? Do you see the generational impact that discipleship makes? Because this church in Waterloo, Iowa had visitors one day 
who heard Billy Sunday say, you need to believe in Jesus and go to church, they obeyed. This church discipled Clarence and Edith. Today, four generations later, we have countless believers in the Bartling and Walker family. Pretty amazing. You see, true discipleship not only changes a person, but it changes a family for generations. If we faithfully disciple our children, we are continuing the lineage of Christ followers and impacting countless generations to come. I have a little image I want to show you. This is what Paul told Timothy to do. The command in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is a generational command. It has at least four generations involved in this sentence. Paul tells Timothy, Paul's discipling Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to disciple reliable men, and then he tells Timothy to teach the reliable men to disciple others. So in this command, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, there's a generational expectation. Timothy, you want to change the world? You want to change the city you're in? You want to impact the world? Disciple a couple people. Disciple two guys, three guys, and teach them to disciple people, and you can change your city. You can change families. You can change generations of people. You can make a huge difference. So we took this and we plugged in family names just to kind of help you see the generational impact that could be made. So if a grandparent puts their faith in Christ and they disciple their children, and that parent disciples their children, and their children disciple their children, you now made generations of impact because you were willing to pour your life into one person. This is what I believe Paul understood, and he needed so much. He needed Timothy to understand this. You want to make a difference? Disciple somebody. You might not see the results. That's the, that's the frustrating thing about discipleship, right? I've been meeting with this stinking guy at Panera every week, and I'm not seeing anything happen. You, you are. By you meeting with that guy, you could be leading their grandchildren towards faith. Because that rudder is slightly moving. It's just, it's hard to see sometimes. You guys know Deuteronomy chapter 6, famous text about discipleship. Talks about how the greatest thing Israel, right? The nation of Israel. The greatest thing you can do. If you're going to do anything Israel. If you're going to do anything Israelites. There's two things you got to do. Love God and teach your children to love God. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. And on your gates, Israel, do two things. This is your job. Love God and teach your children to love God. That is a brilliant follower of Christ. You want to be a strong follower of Christ? Two things. Love him, read his word, and tell your children to do the same thing. That's the goal. 
That's success. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. See, discipleship is more than just a command to follow we see in the Great Commission. It's always been God's method of passing on faith and impacting future generations to come. It wasn't new with the Great Commission to make disciples. This has always been the plan. God usually works through the family. Parents, point your kids to Jesus. What a great reminder for Father's Day. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. But the goal of discipleship is ultimately making followers of Christ. But if the disciples we make will make disciples of their own, starting with their families, then there's no way of telling the impact that you can make by simply discipling one person and teaching them to do the same. Discipleship has generations of ripples effects. All right, the last one. Number three, the last ripple effect that can happen when we make disciples is discipleship can change the trajectory of a nation. The last ripple effect is that true discipleship can change the world. Because discipleship was and is Christ's plan for changing the entire world. That's it. That's his method. That's what he desires to happen in every corner of the world. Todd mentioned this timeline to you last week. He told you, Todd told you this, that Jesus picked 12, 12 guys that he was going to pour into. Then in Luke chapter 10, there's 70, 70 other men, or a total of 70, and he sends the 70 out two by two into cities and villages and tells them, just declare the kingdom of God. Tell them that Jesus is coming. Go. And then at Pentecost, thousands hear the gospel from Peter and are saved. There's thousands now at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Thousands of believers. Then when the dispersion comes due to persecution, the thousands have to spread because of the persecution. And those thousands go to every corner of the known world at that time by God's sovereign plan. He sends them, the thousands, to the corners of the world at that known time. So within just 10 to 30 years, the gospel spread from a small group of 12 to every country in the known world at that time, in just a few years. Because a group of people obeyed the Great Commission to make disciples. You want to change the world? Make disciples. Tell other people about the love of Jesus, his, his kindness to you on the cross, that he would die for sinners like us. That's how you change the world. Christ pouring into 12 is what changed the world. And this is the command to us in Matthew chapter 28. Do the same thing that Christ did. Just as Christ made disciples who would change the world, go and do the same. You can read any number of missionary biographies and see how one person or one family leaving the comfort of their home to go to another land has changed the spiritual landscape of an entire nation. You want to make a difference? Make disciples. A great example of this would be Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. You familiar with them? I want to briefly tell you their story. In 1955, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and a couple of their friends had a passion 
They had a passion for an unreached tribe in Ecuador. Their hearts broke for these people because these people had never heard the gospel. And they wanted to go to this unreached tribe in Ecuador to share the good news of Jesus. In 1956, after sending care packages to this nation, flying a plane over, dropping a box of of goods and things like that, in 1956, they finally got the courage or had an opportunity to land the plane and to go talk to this people. In 1956, they land their plane to share with these people, and those, that tribe spears them to death. Their goal was to share the gospel. They finally get an opportunity, and they are speared to death. These five men die out of fear from the very people that they are trying to love and to share the gospel with. The story doesn't end there. Nate St. Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, the two weeping family members, right? Horribly devastated by this. They also have the same vision. Like, they're not done. They decide to continue the work of their loved ones, these two women. They continue the men's efforts and continue to go to this nation, this tribe. And finally, they see one person, one man, come to faith. Finally, they see one person, Rachel and Elizabeth, see one person come to faith. Today, because of the efforts of these two men and their families, today the nation of Ecuador has a strong gospel presence with local churches led by indigenous pastors. Because in 1956, two men were willing to say yes and go. Because these five men, it was a total of five men who died. Because these five men obeyed the Great Commission to go, and their wives and family members trusted God enough to continue their task. Do you think at the funeral, all these families thought that these men were successful? I don't know. Probably not. But were they successful? Absolutely. And to be honest, there is no way to even evaluate how successful those two men have truly been. We have no idea the ripple effects that have continued on because these two men were willing to go and die. Because they took the command to make disciples so seriously, they literally changed Ecuador. Ecuador is now a gospel-present nation because two men were willing to go and die. I hope that settles on you. Let that weightiness settle on you. You see, it's discipleship which has the power to change the world. It's not these guys. They didn't change the world. It's the powerful message that they were carrying which had the power to change the world. But it did take their boldness to go and even their willingness to give their lives for the cause. I want to show you one more graphic. I want to show you quickly that the the power of discipleship, the, the idea of why Christ told us to go and make disciples, why is that the command? I want to be honest with you. This graphic is idealistic, okay? So if you're a hole poker, it won't take you much time to poke holes in this graphic. But I'm just trying to cast vision for you. 
to help you see why the command is to make disciples and the impact making disciples can make. And we're not ridiculing evangelism, right? Pastor Todd in week one told you he believes they're the same, right? Making disciples always requires evangelism. They're the same. But this is why the command I believe that Paul tells Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2 is to make disciples. Here's the effect it can make. You maybe you've seen these statistics before. But if you were to take an evangelist, right? An evangelist, again, we're thinking very optimistically. He is a gifted evangelist, and he has the ability to lead one person to Christ every single day, right? Like, that would be awesome. I wish I had that gift. Let's say he has that ability. God blesses him with the power to lead one person to Christ every single day. After 30 years, that man will have led, or woman, that man would have led almost 11,000 people to Christ. It's amazing. If he would share the gospel, the person would believe and it would stop there. That person would lead 11,000 people to Christ. Okay, you take the idea of discipleship. You take a person and they pick two people a year. I'm just going to pour into you and I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to teach you the gospel, what discipleship is, how to obey. Two people a year, that's it. After 30 years, based upon the principle of multiplication that I pour into two and I teach them to pour into two and that just keeps spreading, after 30 years, one billion people would be followers of Jesus Christ. This is the principle, again, you can pull clothes in this, but this is the principle that Paul is teaching Timothy. Timothy, the goal has always been make disciples. Teach people the beauty of the gospel and teach them to teach others the beauty of the gospel. To love Jesus enough to tell others about it. That's your command. Our command as elders of this church is to disciple you to disciple others. And if we do this, we can change, we can change the world. If this church took seriously, which I believe we do, the command to make disciples. And if we started with our families and the kids inside our church, the impact this church can make is endless. Not only do we have the potential to change Ankeny, but we have the potential to change the world. But it all starts with just discipling those who are currently in your life, your kids, your friends, and your neighbors. You can change the world. Let's put this all into a simple take-home truth, and then we'll try to apply it real quick before we end. Our take-home truth today is this. There's no greater purpose in life than the one given to us by Christ, to make disciples of all nations. The beauty of discipleship is its power to change people, families, and even nations. So let's continue to change the world by passing on the good news that we once received. Can we do this? Can we take this command, practice it this week, this month, and this year, not get discouraged when we don't see results, but understand that we're slightly changing the rudder? Lives are being changed by discipleship. Families are being changed by discipleship. And even even nations are being changed. I have three points of application and then we're done. There is nothing more exciting 
than being a part of the world-changing effort of making disciples. Do you want your life to make a difference? Do you want to make an impact with the 90 or whatever years God gives you? The greatest thing you can do with your life is invest it into the lives of others by making disciples. Real quick, uh, it's Father's Day, so dad's in the room. Are you discipling your children? That's where it starts. Your kids' names better be on that sheet of paper. Are you discipling your children? I'm not asking you if you're doing it perfectly. I'm sure I'm not. But are you pointing your kids daily towards Jesus? And by doing this, are you slowly changing the trajectory of their life? Daily, do you point them to Jesus? Do you point them to Scripture? Do you pray with your kids? You might not see results immediately. You might frustrating, parenting is difficult. But stay faithful and you'll see that rudder. You'll see that rudder slightly move. Parent, dads, if you are discipling your kids, you are making a world, a world of difference. Keep it up. Church members, are you struggling to find someone to disciple? That sheet, that card that was on your seat, as you flip it over and you know Pastor Todd wants you to hand it in, either this week or next week, as you think through that, you're struggling to find some names to write down. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is a friendship. I'm not sure if this is a discipleship. I don't know. Do you want to be actively pointing others towards Jesus? Then I'd encourage you to start right inside of our church. Right now and every Sunday, we have a group of adults who are obeying the Great Commission simply by pointing other people's kids towards Jesus by teaching children's ministry classes. And in so doing, are changing the trajectory of those kids' families. Summertime is recruit time for Becky and I. We would love to get you plugged in to a discipleship role in either the children's ministry or the youth ministry. Just talk to us. Or, every year we have right around 40 lighthouses and 40 lighthouse leaders who are actively pointing other adults towards the wonders of Jesus Christ. But we need more. Our city's enormous. We want to make a difference in our city, and I think you do too. Become a lighthouse leader. Right now, Pastor Chris is actively recruiting Go talk to him today. You want to make an impact in your city? You want to make an impact on your road? You want to make an impact on your cul-de-sac? Start a lighthouse. Start a Bible study on the night of the week and invite your neighbors. Thursday night, we're going to be having a Bible study here. All my neighbors, you're welcome. That, that's discipleship. Love your neighbors enough to invite them to a Bible study. Teach them about Jesus, and you will make a world of difference. Lastly, do you want to change the world? Disciple someone. Find someone that has no relationship with Jesus Christ and constantly tell them about him. There's nothing greater you can do with your life. And if you are willing and called, leave the comfort of America and do this for people who will never hear it, like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint did. Uh, the last week or so, my sister's been in town, and she's for sure one of my heroes. Right after college, she was about 23, 24 years old, and my sister felt called to the nation of, of Germany. And right after college, she left her family and friends 
She was single. She left home and she moved to Berlin, Germany because she loves God and desires to obey him with her life. For the last 15 years, she has been discipling children, teens, and adults in another nation which has very little gospel presence. Christie's, the ripple effects that Christie is making, no one will ever know the extent. Because she was willing to say yes, and she's willing to obey the Great Commission. So grateful for a sister who constantly encourages me and pushes me towards being a better disciple maker. Would you do the same? Use the years God's given you to make an impact on the world. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.